Talked to you shouldn't be. It was hiding in plain sight. Things that are hiding in plain sight. The FedEx arrow. Yeah, it's hiding in plain sight. A fawn in dappled light. Hiding in plain sight. The artistry of Lou Bolin. You know the artistry of Lou Bolin. You know this cat. It is absolutely amazingly. Bigfoot. Bigfoot. Hide and seek champion, a friend of mine says. Ever play the game at the back of People Magazine, okay? I know, People Magazine, it's brain candy. It really adds no value to one's life, okay? But the end of People Magazine is the game. Two pictures, seemingly identical, 10 distinctive hiding in plain sight differences. Where do you get? I usually get to eight or nine. I can never find 10. Things that are hiding in plain sight. A mother, a woman, underestimated, overlooked. It was hiding in plain sight. It's a classic tale of something beautiful, falling victim, potentially to demolition. The article was in the New York Times. Michael Levison, Paul Brown, is an antiques collector in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. He had found out that a church, it was formerly known as First Presbyterian Church, uh, rather St. Paul's Presbyterian Church in West Philly, was going to demolish, okay, and, and be remade for a new Christian church to use, okay? Emmanuel Christian Center had purchased the old Gothic Revival building. The new owner wanted to get rid of the windows, and so they posted on Facebook, and Mr. Brown encountered someone who was also a salvager who went to the church and said, hey, would you be interested in these before we sledgehammer them out? That seems like rather short-sighted. Mr. Brown says, okay, six grand for the windows, as well as some wooden pews and some doors. Took him $15,000 to do the deconstruction. Packed him in moving blankets, put him in the back of a truck, took him to Freeman's, a Philadelphia auction house, to have them appraised. Any guesses? Who made the stained glass window in St. Paul's Presbyterian Church? Exactly. Once he found out they had been made by Tiffany's, he spent 50 grand to get them restored. They're slated for auction. Four days from now, they have an estimated value of $150,000 to $250,000 each. They're eight feet in diameter, and they are beautiful. The text today, page 973. I'm on the wrong page. I'm on the right page. Verse 7, chapter 3, Galatians. Know then that it is of those of faith who are the sons and daughters of Abraham, and the scripture, capital S, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel, usually think of the gospel as a New Testament concept, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. That's a pretty cool thing, especially if your name's Abraham. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Father Abram, Father Abraham, not by blood, okay? That's the distinction that Paul is drawing out. People are identifying with Abraham by blood. And it's not by blood. It's something more powerful than that. It's not Isaac. It's not Jacob, Israel, sons of Jacob, Israelites. And again, this is all history, right? And we've talked about this before. Don't be afraid of history. Don't be afraid of history. Don't be afraid of the truth. Don't be afraid of confronting what you thought was true with what is true. 
This is especially important, okay? This is especially important if darkness exists in your past. If darkness exists in your history. Now, there's two extremes if darkness exists in your past. One extreme is like, well, it's in the past. What possible difference could it make on my life now? I'll just ignore it. If darkness sin exists in your past, then you need to ask for forgiveness for it. If you've asked for forgiveness for it, the other danger is the other extreme. And the other extreme is because this thing exists in my past, it defines me for the rest of my life. No, if something's been confessed, if we've asked for forgiveness for a thing that exists in the past, if we've righted the wrong, if that's possible, then we don't have to live with it any longer. It doesn't have to control what we do right now. It, it, it's the middle ground, right, that we want to carve out. This middle ground that confessing what is wrong, receiving forgiveness, and moving forward in life. Avoiding the extremes. No big deal. To This controls me for the rest of my life. This middle ground really defines a lot of how I look at life or theology or current events. It's just that being in the middle doesn't make headlines. And almost always both sides are mad at you. At any rate, all that is to say, arrogance is not a spiritual gift, quality, or fruit. And what Paul is encountering is arrogance of the first order. He's encountering a group of people who are telling the Galatians, if you don't literally, if you're a male, look like me, something's wrong with you. Paul continues to build on this singular person, okay, this, this Abram, this Abraham, the singular person in the course of God revealing God's self to humankind. Is Abraham a beta test, a prototype? Maybe. I mean, how God revealed came to Abraham was in some ways a very singular event, right? But in other ways, it had already been tested. I mean, Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Enoch walked with God and then was no more. And I'm certain they were others because God didn't start wanting to be in a relationship with his created order with the maturation of Abram. One might argue wanting to be in relationship was a driving force, if not the driving force, for the creation idea. And at this point, Paul's opponents would say, yes, Abraham is our guy. And then they would add, Abram was cut. Cuts like a knife. Sorry, Brian Adams. I just had to do it. I just had to do it. Different knife. And Paul's like, it's not about being cut. Paul's like, you're, you're missing the part that is hiding in plain sight. And the scripture, capital S, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. When Paul writes this, he's referring back to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3, when Abraham has this radical, one of many radical encounters with God. 
the Scripture, capital S. The Scripture speaks. The Scripture is the Word of God, right? The Word speaks. We identify the second person of the Trinity as the Word of God. That's what John tells us in John chapter 1. Scripture speaks the words of God, the Word of God, the power of the Word. The Word makes things happen. Scripture speaks. This is more than describing what will be done. This is the doing of that thing that will be done. The Word, the Scripture, is God in action. It's why we have such a high view of this text. It's why we say this is our authority. Scripture speaks. These are the words of God. And specifically, Paul is bringing us back to the beginning, Genesis, right? Where Abraham hears a voice, and it's God whispering into his ear saying, Hey, I want you to follow me. And through you, I'm going to bless all people. All the nations will be blessed. We'll talk about blessed in a little bit. And then in Genesis chapter 15, there's this thing that gets repeated. God again comes to Abraham after Abraham stubs his toe. And God's like, I'm with you. I'm with you. Go outside, count this. I'm with you. I am on your side. Follow me. And Abraham's like, yes, I will. And long before the knife, Genesis tells us that Abraham trusted God. And by that, we say Abraham was a person of faith, and by faith. And Paul says in this current argument of who's on God's side, it's all hiding in plain sight. It's all right here. Of and by faith. Faith is this word that can be messy. It's a little bit gooey, okay? It's, it's not precise like grass is green, sort of. Of course, if you don't treat your grass well, maybe it's not green. But this time of year, all the grass is green, right? Even the weeds are green, okay? They look beautiful, right? But like we've said about many things that are difficult to precisely define, it does not mean that they cannot be experienced. And faith is something that is designed to be experienced as well as attained. It's not a pipe dream, okay? It's not like, like you come across an architect who draws something that's absolutely beautiful or a concept car, okay? If you've ever seen a concept car, okay? The concept car, but it, you, you can't drive it because it's a concept car. It's just a shell, okay? It really actually wouldn't work. You sit in it, it wouldn't go anywhere, okay? This isn't, this isn't faith, right? Faith isn't something that's created but not designed to be used. Faith is designed to be experienced as well as attainable, okay? There's many things in life that aren't attainable, like finishing a remodeling project in your home. 
you get to 80% done. You get to 80% done, okay? And you're like, it's good enough. I don't need to go any further. You may not say that out loud. And then your spouse looks at you like, why can't we finish this for Mother's Day? And you're like, because I don't love you enough. I'm going to get in trouble for that one. I'm going to get in trouble. Every guy who's going to be like, I'm going to get in trouble for that. Get in line. (laughs) Stretches around the block, out around. Faith is designed to be experienced and it is attainable. Those of faith, by faith, are blessed. Now, we think of blessed in terms of living in a nice home, wearing nice clothes, driving a nice car, having the things of life. Okay, fair enough, but that's not what the Bible means. Because this book has to work in a culture that isn't like ours. So our ideas of what it means to be blessed are kind of maybe shadows. For Paul, to be blessed is to be justified. There's that word again. Can't escape it. For Paul, to be blessed is to be found right. For Paul, to be blessed is looking good before God because of faith, by faith. Faith in what? The Word of God. Faith in Jesus. All people, all nations have equal access to this idea of faith the value that God places on all skin colors coming to faith. That is the game. Remember when we talked about what the gospel was a couple, three, four weeks ago, the three interrelated ideas, remember that? You might argue justification is the foot, okay, is the foot that you start striding with, especially for the individual. Is the individual justified? Is the individual blessed? Is the individual standing right before God? How does that happen? Of and by faith. It's something that begins and continues. Faith. Ever get a phone call? Have an interaction with someone? Someone who you're like, wow, that was odd. I mean, why would they be interested in me? I mean, say Taylor Swift calls. Hey, I'm going to be in the Metro. You have any time? What? Aren't you dating someone new? (laughs) Being in a relationship with God doesn't start with me being impressive. It starts by faith. Being in a relationship with God for Abram didn't start with Abraham being impressive. It started by faith. It started with a living God coming to Abraham. It starts with a living God saying to us, I want to hang out with you. The living God, the creator, the redeemer, the lover of people who says, I want to love you. I want to love you. I want to love you. God is whispering that, shouting that, screaming that, however you want to express it. Right now, God is saying, I want to love you. 
it's almost preposterous. My response, I have nothing to bring. I'm not very smart. Why would you ever want to hang with me? God's like, I want to love you. Just let me love you. Again, two extremes, right? Why would God want to love me? And now on the other side, I don't need God's love. Really? That's an interesting place to be. I don't need God. I'm fine on my own. Have you ever noticed people who don't need God, who are fine on their own, are always looking over their shoulder? Living, wanting something more? Thinking that more of something will satisfy this thing that they're missing? When what they're missing is hiding in plain sight, it's the love of God. And so reluctantly, right, God says to John, John, God says to you, I want to love you. Will you let me? And reluctantly, I'm like, okay, I guess so. And it starts. That's faith. That's faith. It's taking the chance that what God is saying is true, that he honestly wants to hang with us. It's experiencing this thing called faith. And faith increases, right, with the length of the relationship. It increases in the good. It it increases in the face of adversity. It increases with history. Faith is in the track record. It's in the experience that one has shared with another. And sometimes... Faith allows you to wonder and to doubt. Do you really love me, God? I'm really kind of a despicable human being. God's like, yep, I do. And it's okay that you doubt. I'm still here for you. I can handle your doubt. I think any relationship that is strong enough is strong enough to have times of uncertainty, times of doubt. Don't be afraid of these things. It's not a weakness to talk with God and with others about God that we're doubting. It's all part of the faith journey. We start this, and when we start this, we are those of faith, and we're experiencing something that is hiding in plain sight right before our eyes. Happy Mother's Day. Do you realize that if you're lucky enough to be a woman, or lucky enough to be sitting next to a woman, you possess God image beauty in plain sight. Do you realize how beautiful you are? Do you realize how much the Father loves you? That can be said for all of us, right? And sometimes we need someone to reach down into our yuck and pull us out. My friend is a cop. A couple of weeks ago, the day before, a law enforcement officer who in the course of responding to a domestic was shot and killed in the western part of our state seems like it's a short walk from being a guy who will attack a woman to a guy who will be willing to kill a cop. At any rate, my friend was, in the course of his duty, responding to a domestic. In my way of thinking, 
This is like the absolute nightmare, right, of a situation. I'm not a criminologist. I don't understand these things. But it seems to me, walking up to a door where there's a domestic going on, you have no idea what's on the other side of that door. My friend enters the house. He follows all the protocols, maintains situational awareness. On his way to the perpetrator, he walks through a room, looks into the room, and there is a loaded, ready-to-go, high-powered rifle on the floor right next to an easy chair, along with a 22 with a banana clip on it. He's kind of like, oh, that's interesting. He ends up doing his job. He arrests the bad guy, gets him out of the house. He then stops and talks to the woman. She, she shows him profound bruising. I mean, it, it starts like here and goes down her arm into her torso. She's, she's an absolute wreck. The kind of person that is easily forgotten and then abused. By the way, if, if you're in a situation where you suspect someone's being abused, if someone ever goes like this to you, it's a universal sign for help among abused women. If someone holds up their hand and there's a, there's a black dot in the middle of their hand, if you're sitting at a bar, okay, and someone orders an angel shot, it's code. It's code that they're in a bad, bad, bad situation and they need help. And if you're in that situation today, please, before you leave, I want to talk to you because we want to get you to a safe space. At any rate, my friend is talking to the woman. She's a wreck, the kind of person that is easily forgotten and then abused. In the course of taking the report, my friend stops and says, you are worth more than this. You don't need this guy. And she looks at him with wounded eyes and a damaged body and soul. She asks, will you give me a hug? It's against protocol. But my friend is a Christ follower. Albeit imperfectly, he'd be the first to admit but he's a Christ follower, and he sees the image of God in her frail existence. He opens his arms, and she buries her head into his chest and just weeps, weeps like a child. And that's what Paul is arguing for. The God of the universe meeting us where we are at in all of our frailty in all of our hurt, in all of our pain, in all of our frustration, and saying, you have value. I want a relationship with you. And you can respond by faith, saying, I'll take the chance. Please pray with me.
in the quietness of the moment, if you are in a bad spot, or if you know of someone who's in a bad spot, please commit to getting help. Please. Please. Father, we come today and truly we celebrate the mothers, the women of strength and power and might and intelligence and beauty in our lives. We are grateful, Father. Grateful that they are created in your image and are worthy. For all of us, Father, you invite us by faith into a relationship with you. Allow us to take seriously the invitation. Thank you for this time, O oh great God. In Jesus' name. I invite you to please